Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Strange Matters podcast. Here at Strange Matters, we discuss everything that is mysterious, bizarre, and unexplained. I'm Sean, and I'm joined by my fellow co-host, Eric. Hey, everybody. In this discussion, we will be picking up where we left off last episode and talk about yet another urban legend and popular mystery, this time talking about a strange being known commonly as Indrid Cold. In our previous show, we talked about the well-known cryptid, the Mothman, one of America's most famous mythical creatures. For this follow-up, we will be talking about the history of the shadowy figure known as Indrid, as well as some of the theories about his existence. So this is going to be a really good episode, so if you haven't gone back and listened to our Mothman episode, it would probably be in your best interest to do so, because it'll help you understand a few points about Injured Cold if you listen to the Mothman episode first. Yeah, exactly. And once again, we'd like to thank our longtime listener, Clayton, for suggesting this idea. Thanks, Clayton. So Injured Cold, also commonly known as the Grinning Man, is a dark, mysterious person or entity who may or may not even be human. Who exactly Indrid Cole is, or what his purpose is, is unknown. In fact, it would seem as if his entire existence is completely shrouded in mystery and doubt. Just as with the legendary Mothman, there are numerous theories about Indrid and stories of encounters and sightings with this unusual-looking smiling man. Some say he is a secret government agent, or has the knowledge of UFO activity, and others think he's an alien himself. There have been real-life phenomena linked to injured cold, and many people claim to have encountered him. He's described in many different ways, but most consistently as a tall, bald man with beady, dark eyes that are unusually far apart. And obviously his signature unusually wide grin and some people think there are many of these strange grinning creatures that exist while others suspect is just one being that can transform its appearance however one thing that most people agree on is that if you do encounter him he will pretty much scare the hell out of you and just as with the mothman whenever cold is seen usually some sort of significant event always seems to follow it whether it's a disaster or a UFO sighting. Right, There's he's never just walking down the street and nothing's going on. There's always a lot of other weird paranormal stuff surrounding him wherever he goes. As Eric was saying, he is quite creepy looking. If you don't know what he looks like, I suggest looking up a few pictures of him and uh, just imagine him walking towards you in a dark night. Now we'll get started with the history of Indrid Cold. The first reported sighting of the man was on October 16, 1966. In New Jersey, two boys named Martin Mouse Munov and Jimmy Yankaitis were walking along a road when they spotted an odd-looking man standing off to the side of the road leaning against a fence. Martin said of this event, Jimmy nudged me and said, who's that guy standing behind you? I looked around and there he was, behind that fence, just standing there. He pivoted around and looked right at us. Then he grinned, a big old grin. As they got closer, this tall, strange man, they noticed that he was wearing a rather unique metallic green suit jacket. The entire time they were walking, this man just kept staring at them, all the while sporting that unnaturally wide smile. The two boys were understandably pretty freaked out by this creepy-looking guy, and decided the best thing to do was just nope out of that situation. After they had turned around to walk away, they glanced back in the direction of the weird man. To their horror, the grinning man had begun to follow them. The boys freaked out and broke into a run, turning the corner and sprinting down the street. Fortunately, the two young boys managed to get away from the grinning man and escape whatever plans he had in store for them. Yeah, when I first read about this case, it didn't seem very scary to me because... I was picturing this in my mind as something that was occurring in the middle of the day, but it actually happened about 9.45 p.m., so it was quite dark. And again, this is in October, and the boys were already a little creeped out because they had heard about a woman earlier in the evening being chased by a, quote, tall green man. 
Ionkaitis described his initial encounter as Ionkaitis described his initial encounter with the strange grinning man as he was the strangest guy we've ever seen. He was standing behind that fence. I don't know how he got there. He was the biggest man I ever saw. When the boys were asked to describe the man further, they said he had no ears, nose, or hair. Yeah, so from their statements, one could say it was an exaggeration. Perhaps they were freaked out by the mention of, you know, a green man already in the day. Although you could say that perhaps these two boys weren't the only people who encountered Endred Cole that day. Though this experience is strange by itself, it was not the only odd thing going around in the area. It's important to note that around the time that these boys were encountering the strange grinning man, several UFOs were also reported in the area. On the same day that the boys encountered the smiling man, a policeman and his wife saw a blazing white object the size of a car nearly hit a television tower at Pompton Lakes, New Jersey. Later, two policemen, Sergeant Thompson and Patrolman Wester, saw a similar object hovering by the reservoir. Yeah, that was the interesting thing about the UFOs that they see um, that are linked to injured cold. They're just these unusually bright lights. And when you say blazing, like Sergeant Thompson said that it was so bright that it actually caused him to lose his vision for a period of like 20 minutes that he couldn't see anything because yeah. it was so bright. And again, these are basically three policemen split into two groups that saw two different white flying objects in the same day. Independently of Yeah, other. yeah, in separate areas too. So, you know, it's pretty credible sources. So in the weeks leading up to these close encounters, uh, several other calls had been sent in by others who had also seen strange lights in the sky along the Jersey Turnpike. So there's definitely some type of unknown activity happening in the sky of New Jersey leading up to the first sighting of Indrid Cold. And these two strange events of the Grinning Man and the Unexplained Lights would become important as they would eventually establish a pattern of seeing this mysterious man along with UFO sightings indicating that he might actually be connected to them in some manner. But we'll get into that more later on. So the next two sightings would occur in West Virginia in 1966, the same area and the same time that the sightings of the Mothman were also reported. The fact that these two bizarre stories seemingly happened relatively close to each other is what would lead people to eventually connect these two strange legends together. On November 2nd of 1966 in Parkersburg, West Virginia, a man named Woodrow Derenberger was driving on a highway when he heard a loud sound, like something crashing. Derenberger then saw a type of vehicle or a craft appear on the road directly in front of his truck. Derenberger stated that this strange craft, or whatever it was, looked something like he had never seen before. In his own words, he described the vessel as looking like an old-fashioned kerosene lamp chimney turned sideways, flaring at both ends, narrowing down to a small neck and then enlarging in a great bulge in the center. After staring dumbfounded at this craft, Darren Berger saw a person appear and come out of this vehicle. He was described as a tall man with a wide, eerie grin plastered on his face. His skin was heavily tanned, and he kept his arms folded across his chest with his hands tucked under his armpits. Though he wore a dark top coat, Darren Berger could make out a glistening green shirt underneath that looked metallic in nature. The weirdest part about this description is that even when Cold was talking or thinking, the grin was just stuck to his face. It didn't move at all. Um, and it, it just never went away, nor did it move. Anyways, so once the figure actually stepped out of his craft, car if you want to t call it that, the car, according to Derenberger, levitated 40 feet into the air. Yeah, so he's probably understandably pretty uh, confused and disturbed right now. And as he watched this stranger approach the side of his truck and began to, as Derenberger described, communicate telepathically. 
He sensed that the man was speaking to him, saying, We mean you no harm. I come from a country much less powerful than yours. My name is Cold. I sleep, breathe, and bleed, even as you do. Cold then proceeded to ask a series of bizarre questions. It became apparent to Derenberger that Cold had noticed the lights from the nearby Parkersburg, West Virginia, off in the distance. Cold asked him, what's over there? And asked, is that where people live? Derenberger described that it was a place of business and that most people actually lived outside the town. After a few more unusual questions, Cold finally seemed satisfied with the information he had gathered and said, It's been nice talking to you, Mr. Derenberger. We will see you again. As Cold walked away, the flying craft then descended back down to the highway. Cold got in, the door shut with an audible thud, and then he sped off into the night. So the first thing that popped out to me about this scenario as I'm kind of trying to illustrate what's going on in my mind is how Cold eerily kind of refers to a we, almost like he's got somebody there with him. Yeah, or he's part of a, a group or something. Yeah. Which, so he's he's not by himself. He's either part of you know, an organization or he's got other people in his craft or whatever it is or he's working for some kind of right. shady group. And that's kind of the big controversy about this is is cold a single individual or is he a, a network of these people? Right. Yeah, so we'll, we'll I guess, kind of uh, expand on that further on in the theory section. And so this sighting would be the first time that the Grinning Man gave his name. And it is from Derenberger's story that the name Indrid Cold would spread to other similar encounters with this being. Using mind control, Indrid informed Derenberger that he was studying the human race and that the two would meet again several times. Indrid would in fact visit the man, at least according to Derenberger, several more times and expand his story further. But we'll get into that a little later on. The next sighting that took place was over at good old Point Pleasant, the hometown of the Mothman. This time, though, it wasn't the winged cryptid that was spooking someone, but instead this other mysterious force. The Lily family, locals to the area, had been seeing strange lights all around their home, and what they reported as poltergeist-like activity. The paranormal events climaxed when Linda Lily woke up one night to see a man standing beside her bed. Linda described her encounter with this mysterious entity, saying, It was a man, a big man, very broad. I couldn't see his face very well, but I could see that he was grinning at me. He walked around the bed and stood right over me. I screamed again and hid under the covers. When I looked again, he was gone. And as we've discussed in our previous Mothman episode in, in December of 1967, the collapse of the Silver Bridge made headlines across the country. And in the immediate aftermath of the bridge collapse, there were no reports of Mothman sightings. But several other strange occurrences did take place around the same time as the tragedy. For example, a reporter named Mary Heyer was a bit of an expert on the Mothman, as she had written several pieces on the cryptid for the Athens, Ohio newspaper. The month after the bridge collapsed, she was visited by a strange individual at her workplace. The man walked into her office and confronted her. He was very short, with strange eyes, hidden behind thick-brimmed glasses. He had dark hair that was bowl-cut, and he spoke in a low, halting tone of voice, almost as if he had some sort of speech impediment, as Hire describes. He approached her not to gather information about the Mothman or the recent disaster, but rather inquiring about people who had called in over the weekend reporting strange lights in the sky, which, interestingly, that very weekend she had received nearly 500 tips about strange UFO lights in the sky. The reporter was absolutely terrified when she was confronted by this individual. She said, He kept getting closer and closer to me, and his eyes were staring at me hypnotically. 
She was so uncomfortable that she called her manager into her office to join the discussion. The trio chatted for a few minutes, but then the phone rang, and Hire had to pick it up and answer it. While she was on the phone, she noticed the strange man picking up a pen on her desk and staring at it amazedly, almost as if he had never seen a pen before. Then suddenly he laughed very loudly, took the pen, and ran out of the building. Several weeks later, Hire noticed the man standing on the side of the street. She was surprised and stood there staring at him for a few moments when he noticed he was being watched. It startled him, and he ran around the corner, and a black sedan appeared out of nowhere, picked him up, and sped off. Maybe he just had like a, a pen collection, and that was the one missing piece or something. <laughs> he seemed very excited about that pen. He did. He was extraordinarily excited about it. The strange part about this whole story is, and I don't know if the reporter provided information about the people who called regarding the lights, but many of the people who had actually sent in the reports about the lights would later report being visited by a man that was described identically to the man that Hire had encountered. He claimed to be a reporter from Cambridge. However, when people would question him, occasionally he would accidentally admit to not even knowing where Columbus was, even though the two towns were just a few miles apart. He made all of the people that he visited feel very uncomfortable. And so it would certainly appear that he's not really a reporter, but my question is, what was he really? So some people think that he was injured cold himself, or maybe even one of Cold's comrades or helpers or something like that. Yeah, so it seems like he has some of the same awkward and unnatural mannerisms of Indrid, but the descriptions are almost complete opposite. Indrid is very tall, and he has slicked back hair. Uh, this guy was really short, had like a little bowl cut. Also, I don't think Indrid was seen with sunglasses before. Correct. He, yeah. Um, but as you were saying, they could be companions of each other. Perhaps they work for the same secret organization, which I think we're going to talk about a little bit later on. So, yeah, I, I don't think this was injured cold, but I wouldn't be surprised if, as we're going to talk about a little later, perhaps they even knew each other, worked together, or were somehow related to each other, especially when you consider that, once again, there was a whole bunch of UFO activity, and then some really strange guy shows up in town and is talking to people which is pretty similar to what Indrid has been doing. Yeah, I think everything you just said is pretty logical. I actually believe that the two individuals were one and the same, whatever you want to call it, injured cold. I think they're both injured cold. Interesting. And I'll talk a little bit about my theory behind that in a minute. So as Sean alluded to earlier, Derenberger's story would go much further than just what had been initially said. And Derenberger actually goes on to embellish his story and claim that he had developed quite the relationship, quite the working relationship with Indrid Cold. So as we discuss more about this theory of Indrid Cold being an alien, I do want to point out how it seems to fit the kind of MO of the creature that of a creature that can shapeshift. So the point I was talking about earlier is it's almost like a creature is all, all these different snapshots of injured cold seem to line up pretty nicely um, of a creature that's visiting Earth for the first time, trying to learn about our culture and fit in to avoid detection. So the first report, if you go back to the very, very beginning, is of a woman being chased by a tall green man. That's all the information we have. A few hours later, we have a report of a from those two boys in New Jersey. Yeah. Um, of a tall man in a green suit with no face or ears or hair and an unusually large grin. So it's kind of like he's shape shifting. He's no longer this just tall green man, but he's got a, a he sees somebody wearing a nice suit, so he kind of shape shifts into a greenish suit. And he, you know, sees a billboard. He wants to make himself look charming and inviting. So he puts this giant smile on his face to make himself look really friendly. It almost looks, based, I mean, you can imagine it just as like the generic smiley face. Exactly. At that point, he pretty much had eyes 
and a big ass smile. So he didn't have a nose or ears, as you said. So just a very bland looking face. Exactly. And then by the later reports, he realized that his grin was too big and he was too tall to fit in. And so he made himself shorter. Um, and not only that, but remember his beady eyes. Well, he got these real thick brimmed glasses to cover up his eyes. And he got this unnaturally long bowl cut to cover up his baldness. And But he still has those strange little personality quirks like, oh my gosh, look at this pen. What is it? I'm going to laugh loudly and run out of the room. I was going to say, so you have the first ones where he never says anything. He basically just walks towards people and they run away. And then we have the Derenberger where he you know, walks out of his craft. He communicates, but he forgets to open his mouth. So he does it all telepathically. And again, he has the weird mannerisms. He has his arms folded the entire time. And then, and then we have another possible encounter when he sneaks into a family's home and just absor- observes them as they sleep. And then the last one with the reporter where he's actually talking and somewhat socializing, but there is something incredibly off about him. Exactly. So he's learning. He's smart. He's able to picture, pick up on these cultural cues and these social cues and like learn from them and adapt. But it's obviously taking him a little bit of time. Right. It's almost like he's a, a scout or something. Yeah. He's supposed to he's just dropped down here and supposed to blend in. It's a reconnaissance mission. Right. He's here to collect information, which he has stated, and therefore it's in his best interest to blend in. So going a little bit more into Derenberger's alien story, based on his proximity to extraterrestrial events and obviously his appearance, it's believed that Cole could be a type of MIB or man or men in black as these guys are frequently reported during periods of alien activity or UFO sightings. So men in black are usually thought to be one of two things. So they're either covert government agents or aliens disguised as humans. However, it's commonly believed that the MIB are part of a network of other MIB. And as we mentioned, Indrid Cold might be a network of individuals or a single shape-shifting individual, which is kind of my theory. According to Derenberger, on the other hand, Cold, who came from a planet known as Nanulos in the Genomedes galaxy, worked closely with two other similar creatures by the name of Demo Hassan and Carl Ardo. Derenberger frequently tells that he actually visited Lanulos with Cold. On this planet, there were a strange race of creatures who quote, wore colorful shorts and communicated by writing in Oriental-style squiggly writings. Very political correct there. (laughs) Yeah, it's a little offensive, honestly. Um, And obviously, you know, this is where many people kind of groan and turn away from some of the claims that Derenberger makes. And some people have theorized that his popularity had actually begun to wane, and he had used these claims to kind of build off of his initial story in order to attract more attention and publicity. Right. I mean, I guess you could see that where he initially reported his first encounter to the police, and his statement was taken, and they you know, somewhat were taking him seriously. So they could believe that some strange person you know, maybe cut him off in his truck and came out and was talking to him and stuff. And granted, there was a lot of other weird stuff going on. Yeah, and there were actually other people who were on the same road and later said that they saw his truck off to the side um, and that somebody could have been standing by it. I mean, whether that was Indrid or Derenberger got out of his truck, we don't know. But there are some outside sources that do corroborate some of his story. And again, we have the weird lights that were going on all during that time. And then kind of, as you were saying, he would give some interviews about his story, and then later on he would say, you know, Indrid visited me, or I visited Indrid, and I'm communicating with these grinning men, or grinning men, I would say. And his story just got more and more elaborate. So if you don't believe his story, it's pretty easy to come up with the idea that basically he is fishing for attention, and he tells one story, and then once that goes cold... 
he you can say like oh he's got to think of something to even outdo that so he's like and then Indra took me to a planet and told me the race of their people which were supposedly uh I think descendants from like our planet like humans from our planet were taken to that planet so they were relatives of humans but I guess they changed or whatever but yeah it, it's it depends again like if you don't believe in aliens or UFOs or something this is part of the story where you just immediately write it all off or at least Derenberger's side of the story right and I'm kind of a proponent of extraterrestrial life to an extent and you know it would kind of make sense anytime you're trying to infiltrate a community or a society you you always kind of look for somebody to latch on to as your guide right like you go to china you get a tour guide somebody that you know and you can communicate with and they show you the ropes and then hey i'll take you back to america you know show you i mean it makes sense he's building a relationship yeah and when you think of the other people you know he tried to approach a nice young lady on the street she ran away he tried to talk to two boys they screamed ran away yeah, he's the first one that's not absolutely yeah, he horrified. Stood beside a girl's bed and waited for her to wake up, and she screamed, so he went away. So it's like, yeah, Derenberg was the first person he could actually just talk to in a way. So he's like, okay, this guy's cool. I'll come visit him again. Um, it it is one thing to point out though is that Derenberg's life would never be normal again after this supposed encounter with Indrid Cold. He never came clean or backed out in his story. As we're saying, he kept on expanding on it, saying that he was visiting Indrid, his family claimed that they saw Indrid or some grinning men also visit the house. So they weren't entirely, you know, saying he was crazy or anything. Uh, He was eventually basically driven out of town because his reputation was ruined and he still wouldn't admit to it. So you would think if it was all for attention or publicity after everything turned south on him that he would come clean. But, I mean, he did stick to his story. He stuck to his gun. So that's one thing to keep in mind when telling his story. But one could still argue that since he was already, you know, waist deep in his lies, there would be no point for him to back out anyways. Why not just stick to your story and cause this much doubt, you know, decades down the line? You would think, but that's a lot of conviction to tell a lie. I mean, he lost his family, he lost his job, he lost his hometown. That's true. People are crazy. You know, you could always just say, like, all right, guys, I was tripping. <laughs> yeah. You know, just come clean. But, I mean, as far as I know from reading up on it, he never, to the day he died, he never went back on his word. So, so that's something to keep in mind. Might have been all a lie, but maybe to Derenberger at least, everything that he said he at least thought was true all right so we're just talking a little bit about some of the doubts about Derenberger's story and that kind of leads into one of the next theories is that basically this whole thing is a hoax or exaggeration or just completely myth or urban legend so we already talked about some of the doubts about Derenberger's story I mean, some of the other ones, you could say the two kids, maybe they just saw a creepy old like pervert or something and who was kind of just staring at them and walking towards them and they ran away. And I mean, these kids were kind of young and it was kind of night, as you were saying. So maybe with the way the light was reflecting off this guy's face, it made it look like he was featureless. And they said he was the biggest guy they'd ever seen. I mean, maybe he was like six and a half feet. And, you know, again, they're creeped out. It's night. And then when they told the police later, it's this guy was seven and a half feet. He had no nose or ears and he wore a green metal jacket. You got to keep in mind at this time, there was a fair amount of confusion and hysteria going on in the area with all the different UFO sightings that were taking place and just kind of weird stuff at the time. And it does make sense that if anybody's going to see something and exaggerate it is going to be a couple of boys who are walking home in the middle of the night. Yeah. Um, the other thing is though, in contrast to the Mothman encounters, the injured cold encounters were much fewer. It's not like it was because what I liked about the Mothman was that it was like, 
a flick of the switch. All of a sudden, you know, this one single night, dozens and dozens of encounters are happening. That wasn't quite the case with Injured Cold. And it's a lot of individual people, too. Where the Mothman, you, you had groups of people seeing it. Where Indred, you had the two boys, but then basically everything after that is one people. Is one person. Um, so I don't think there's any... There's a few other encounters of... Possibly encounters of Indred Cold, but I don't think of all the stories I've read, there's ever more than two people... Um, who are seeing him, and it's almost always at night. So there were some daytime sightings of the Mothman, which is another reason why um, I think we both give that a little bit more legitimacy. But yeah, as you were saying, there's, as far as Indrid is concerned, there are a lot fewer sightings, and the witnesses I don't think are as reliable as everyone in Point Pleasant who are seeing the Mothman. And like you alluded to a little bit, the whole concept of a injured cold style character compared with a giant moth is completely different. Like it's hard to mistake the the Mothman, um, whereas injured cold could be misinterpreted by a variety of different things. Yeah, I mean, sense. as I was saying with the kids, he could just be a really tall, yeah. creepy looking guy, yeah. whereas the Mothman. You know, it's kind of hard to mistake a giant man-looking creature with a 15-foot wingspan and be like, ah, no, that's nothing. <laughs> Once we skip over the, you know, concept that it might just be a hoax or an exaggeration, um, I think one of the more popular theories about Injured Cold is that he was actually an extraterrestrial, um, as we kind of discussed. So... My main idea behind that is despite Derenberger's, you know, increasingly absurd claims, he clung to his beliefs about his exchanges with Cold until his death in 1990, even when they ultimately led to the downfall of his family. So his wife actually said that she had met Cold in person or in alien in person. In being? In being. So she met with Cold face-to-face and Cold's other two companions, so the other two grinning men. However, she believed that their agenda was a little bit darker than what her husband believed. So her husband was kind of like buddy-buddy with injured Cold a little bit, whereas, you know, Derenberger's wife was a little bit more weirded out by it and had a... Kind of made her like hair stand up on the back of her. Right. And I mean, I think that would be anybody who only saw these guys in passing. I mean, once again, they're very odd looking. They have unnaturally wide smiles. So I think, you know, if I brought some guy by who looked like Indrid Cold, you know, if you didn't know the backstory, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure anybody would be freaked out just seeing them. Yeah. Um, so. Maybe she did sense something was up, but it could just be because they don't really know how to act. Right. That they were just kind of giving off this vibe that they weren't particularly friendly when they, in fact, could be. Maybe. So that's something to think about. Maybe Derenberger's just too dumb to know any better. Like, I just picture this backwoods redneck <laughs> kind of guy yeah. that just has no clue. It's like, human, tell us your secrets. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, but his wife was definitely weirded out by them, you know, and, and granted that it wasn't completely just in passing, like they spent some time together, but still, yeah, I can, I think Derenberg is just not picking up on some cues here. And again, I mean, Derenberger eventually would have to leave his wife and his family just because of all this mess and nonsense. So it'd be very easy for her to say, oh, he's just making it up, but whether Indrid Cold and his two companions were aliens or grinning men or something, they were at least, there was something there. She met some guys, and one of them was named Indrid. Unless she's lying also, but then again, I don't know why she would cover her husband's story even after he left and everything. Exactly, and not only that, but she didn't even want this negative publicity at all. Right, yes, yeah, And true. she still told these stories to people and like 
carried them with her, carried them along. So again, Woodrow's wife was creeped out by these guys, and she would go on to say that they aren't only making contact around here. They're also doing this all over the country. But they find the people in West Virginia to be more receptive. The point I'm trying to make about this is that this guy was, you know, bottom line, he was completely convinced that these people were aliens. They talked to him about their planet, how they had their own families with children. They had rivers and streams and forests, and they had taken some of the animals from Earth back to their planet, Lanulos, and he was just completely convinced that they were aliens. He had no question about it. And his wife was pretty convinced too. And again, as a person who's kind of a huge, kind of a alien proponent, I think that, you know, this is probably one of the strongest theories out there. It could be. I mean, especially if he does have shape-shifting abilities. Uh, as you were kind of, as that's your favorite theory. Um, he would either have to be some kind of freak creature on Earth, or he would have to come from another planet. And just the fact of his mannerisms and why he's so curious about humanity, uh, that probably would lead more towards the theory that he would be an alien rather than a Earth-born creature, whatever he is. Just because, as you were saying, it's like all of a sudden he popped, he's here, he wants answers, he's, he's curious about us. So I don't think that would happen if he you know, was a mutant or some kind of experiment or something. So another theory on Indrid Cold that we talked a little bit about is that he could possibly be one of the government's men in black. The similar how they're portrayed in the funny movie starring Tommy Jones and Will Smith, the real men in black, according to conspiracy theorists, are agents who are sent into areas dealing with UFO or extraterrestrial encounters, and then typically are seen threatening or silencing anyone who's not willing to forget about what they saw. Now, as the name implies, most of these agents dress head-to-toe in black suits. Now, it's obviously an area where the flashy dressing style of Indrid Coles clashes with his bright metallic colored suits. There are some who even believe that these men in black don't answer solely to the government, as they are aliens themselves, as Eric was talking about earlier. So again, this could possibly be kind of two theories in one. He could be a Men in Black, and he could be an alien at the same time. So as this theory goes, Endred is one of these special agents, one of these Men in Blacks, and is sent into these areas experiencing the UFO activity that we've talked about in New Jersey and West Virginia. These A bunch of lights were seen in the sky, and his mission was to investigate and possibly you know, intimidate or silence anyone around to keep them quiet which obviously didn't work. As we all know, there's a bunch of stories of these UFOs in the sky. Right, and that kind of, well, I mean, that kind of makes sense because if you think about the timeline here, which is kind of blurry, I understand, but the UFO sightings sort of took place first, and then injured cold seemed to show up. Um, The only thing with this, though, for me is that, you know, Darren Berger is our primary source of good information here, and it doesn't really fit with anything he's said. With all that, you'd kind of have to either take one or the other, um, unless you discount all of Darren Berger's statements or just, you know, maybe Indrid sprayed it with some mind-altering drugs or something. Well, so that's, that's perfectly doable to discount everything that Darren Berger has said yeah, as well. could be. I mean, especially if these guys are, their job is to either change people's opinions or make them forget somehow. Yeah. So I, as we were just talking about, this theory goes, it could be that Indrid was sent to West Virginia to actually look into the sightings of a certain Mothman that were popping up all over the place. And since we have these two mythical beings in the same area, it doesn't seem too unlikely that they could be related in some way. Now, as to whether the Mothman was an alien that Indrid was trying to conceal or or a military experiment he was supposed to retrieve or just some other option is, of course, unknown as we don't know the exact explanation behind the Mothman in the first place. So it could just all be a coincidence. 
it is odd that people would have sightings of both the Mothman and Indrid Cold at around the same time and place, and then the two beings would seemingly disappear at around the same time as well. So it just seems unlikely that you would have these two kind of mythical urban legend type stories that are well known across the country by now, and they they both just happen to like almost start in the same place at the same time. Yeah. That seems kind of unlikely unless a bunch of pranksters just went down there to try to start some stories. But yeah, you're saying. It, it's unlikely unless they were somehow connected. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I completely agree. I mean, this was just a, comp- this was a huge hotspot for paranormal or extraterrestrial activity back in 1966 and 1967. So it, it is, it would definitely be unusual to assume that there's not a relationship between the two. But I'm having trouble coming up with a clear correlation between injury cold and the mothman and the ufos and all this stuff yeah i mean unless one or the other all three are aliens right but again as you're saying we have this one area in time you have ufos you have injured cold and you have the mothman or like something maybe there's like a, this is gonna be super nerdy but like some sort of gateway that is spewing these things out or something attracting them from other planets nerd <laughs> it depends it ultimately depends on what you i mean think it, it is. we've talked about like spiritual gateways before right so it could be that some kind of it was some kind of beacon some kind of dimensional rift and all these weird beings just like flooded in perhaps accidentally and yeah. that's why you have the mothman kind of jumping around uh indrid cold all of a sudden pops up he doesn't know where he is he's trying to blend his way in he's asking about humanity and then of course you have these alien craft that are flying all over the sky yeah not well not even necessarily alien craft they're just super bright lights that we don't really know much about so it could be anything it could be energy that's true it could be orbs you know something like that so and the other thing to think about is we talked about how the Mothman could be potentially like an angel or a demon or something like that. And some people think that there's the possibility that injured cold was not necessarily extraterrestrial, but rather more towards the paranormal end of that spectrum. So the main driving force behind this theory is the encounter with Linda Lilly. So she had been, her family had been reporting that, strange poltergeist-like activity, assuming that there was some sort of ghost or spirit, you know, an evil spirit, for example, that was haunting their house or something. And then she wakes up in the middle of the night and there's this figure standing over top of her. It just kind of paints more of a picture of something more paranormal slash religious, um, something like that, spiritual yeah, because, I mean, that adds a fourth element to this area. If people are experiencing, you know, orbs and poltergeist activity, it's like, you know, everything but the kitchen sink is showing up in Point Pleasant. Exactly. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, some kind of gateway or something or just some kind of beacon that's just drawing all these weird creatures and beings and stuff in one place in time. Yeah, there's so much we just don't know. Yeah, and just to kind of piggyback on Eric's statement there. Some believe, again, to go more on the paranormal side, that Indrid is related to another shadowy unknown being known as the Hat Man. Now, this is mainly because of the third incident, again, uh, Linda Lilly, as we were talking about, when she awoke, she saw a tall, grinning man standing over her bed. Now, in this case, this being is associated with Indrid Cold, But there are many other encounters and incidents similar to this of people waking up and they see a tall, dark silhouette standing above them or somewhere in their room. This being is usually described as, you know, tall, lanky, wearing a long coat and obviously a top hat. And this night terror is commonly known as the Hat Man. A lot of people all over the world have said that they've seen the Hat Man. He Again, kind of almost always shows up at night, either when people are trying to go to sleep or they wake up from sleep. And, I mean, it could be that the hat man is one creature or could be multiple creatures. So it's the same thing with Indrid. We don't know if 
all these things are the same Indrid cold, or if Indrid cold is like a species that is seen several times. So perhaps he is a hat man, or Indrid species is related somehow to whatever material the hat man is made out of. Yeah, and you know, I think that's really interesting concept. When I first read about the Lily family encounter, it really threw me off a little bit because I was like, everything seemed to consistently fit together, at least in terms of their descriptions and the the setting and stuff like that and the behaviors of Injured Cold. But the Lily family was kind of like, what? He's standing over this girl's bed in her room. It just didn't really seem to fit with where I was going with injured cold in my mind. But you're right. This definitely fits more in the realm of something like the hat man. And the hat man has been described in a variety of different ways. So it's possible going back to our point about this being just a huge hotspot for unusual paranormal activity at the time. It could be that, you know, the first two encounters were with injured cold and then the Lily family was literally just with a hat man and she, maybe they had heard about the other encounters with the grinning man and she kind of mixed the two together. Yeah. Cause the really the only thing connecting the Lily incident to Indrid is it happened in West Virginia near Derenberger and it, the figure she saw had a really wide smile, which a lot of times the hat man is described as completely featureless. So that's one distinction. Um, but again, it wasn't until sometime later that all these were kind of put together. How old was Lily at this time? Or Linda? Uh, I think like 12, maybe? Yeah. She's definitely like young, like a, a like child. A not Yeah, not a teenager or anything. So, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm not like completely discrediting her encounter because it obviously had a huge impact on her at the time. She was completely freaked out and had trouble sleeping for a while. But, you know details might slip through the cracks more with a 10 or 12 year old right versus you know some of these other encounters right and i mean it as you're saying it could have been a separate incident like a hat man type creature or being and you know hat man a lot of people to this day they're seeing it all over the world but it is important to note that though the majority like the kind of canon of Indrid Cold all happened in the mid sixties. There are some people who see there are some people who still claim to see either Indrid or another grinning man, if you will, if they are a group or species to this day. Uh people are still writing experiences where they see these creepy tall guys dressed weirdly, just kind of standing and observing them with a unhumanly wide smile. And yeah, definitely something it's creepy. It's not something you want to see at night. It's one of those things. It's one of those weird, almost paranormal events where these beings, whatever they are, they're still being seen today. So for those of you who are listening, Sean and I usually do our recordings pretty late at night. And when Sean leaves, I always have all these creepy images in my head. And I have to like get (laughs) from my office upstairs down into my bedroom with my wife without getting grabbed, you know, yeah, like by the ankle. And I was like, try and sneak into my room quietly when my wife's asleep. But I always end up like slamming the door shut. So it doesn't, so I don't get grabbed from underneath the door or something. Um, I guess final theory, if you want to kind of tie all this together is that going along with the shape shifting extraterrestrial theory, maybe the Mothman and injured cold are one in the same. And just like the Mothman is injured colds get around the area faster form or something yeah. that has wings. When his vehicle breaks down, <laughs> it's like, ah, oh, crap, trying uh, to break geez. out the wings. Yeah, I don't know. Kind of a stretch there, but it's the best thing I've been able to come up with in my mind to tie all this stuff together. Right. I think if I had if I'd had to pick, I'd think that they are two separate entities. And that, again, there is something weird going on at this time that they just happened to kind of be in the same area. Maybe both of them were actually drawn to the UFO activity and not the bridge collapse. 
that the Mothman was seen at. Maybe he, whether he's directly or indirectly uh, linked to these aliens, we don't know. But, I mean, it could be that the Mothman, whatever it is, was active because all these UFOs were at, you know, flying around at night. And Indrid, maybe he was a men in black. Maybe he has some kind of alien ties himself. He just happened to be in the area, too, just because it was a hot spot at that time for UFO activity. So, yeah, I think that there are two separate events. I don't think that they are actually directly related, if I had to pick. I think it's just a coincidence that they are in the same area. But I do like your theory of something going on that's drawing these things together. Yeah, and with all of the encounters that have been reported, neither of them have really any reference to each other other than the fact that it's all in Point Pleasant. So Yeah. All right, well, that wraps up our discussion on both the Mothman and Indrid Cold. Please feel free to send in your thoughts on both of these creatures if you think there's a link or connection between them, if both of them are real, if both of them are bogus. We'd love to hear your thoughts and opinions on that. You can send your feedback to our email, strangematterspodcast at gmail.com. As always, you can send in suggestions for future episodes. You can connect with us on our social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And as always, if you'd like to support our podcast, feel free to visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash strangematters. And we'd like to give a shout out to our newest supporters, Eric, Brian, Jody, Mikey, Kareel, as well as our newest preferred patron of the show, Sean. So we'll be doing a special episode for Sean in the upcoming weeks. And of course, for clarity, this is not Sean Cunningham. That's right, yes. <laughs> We're not trying to cheat the system. And if you listen to us on iTunes, feel free to leave us a rating and a review so we can promote the show and get new listeners. Until next time, the Strange Matters Podcast. Take it easy, everybody. Take care, everybody. <laughs>